Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast for July 23rd, 2021. We welcome you once again. We're very glad that you're here with us uh, on our podcast. We uh, have this podcast. We try to do it weekly. We don't make it every week, but we try our best to do that. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a communications volunteer for Chapter 49 and a retiree. Let me welcome our chapter president, Duncan Giles, who's back with us again. Welcome back, Duncan. Always good to talk to you. It's another week. Thanks, Larry. Good to be here. And we are here to talk about a number of things. And we have, uh, for the most part, some good news to pass along, uh, maybe just clarifications to pass along to you. First thing is we've been talking uh, for several weeks now about the new contract that will be going into effect October 1st of this year. Uh, You were a part of that negotiating team from beginning to end. But in order for this contract to actually take legal effect, chapters need to start the ratification process. So where's Chapter 49 in that process? We're right about in the middle right now. Um what we have decided to do that we think would be best for everyone is to do it via a zoom meeting. That way we can have everybody from around the state, um, have an opportunity to, uh, cast their vote and, uh, vote in that fashion. Uh, so it would have me basically explaining what's going on, why this is a good contract and the highlights of the agreement, as well as to answer questions about it. And then we can take the vote. Right now, we are debating um, between whether we want to do it like on a lunchtime or do we want to do it in an evening or on a weekend. So if anybody has any thoughts on that, on what you would prefer to have that Zoom meeting on, by all means, let us know at ntu49 at aol.com. The executive board and I are uh, talking about this. We're trying to set it up. Uh, to figure out what's going to work best for as many people as possible, as many members as possible, so we can do that. And like I said, at that point, we would get into uh, in-depth explanations of, I would explain the changes, things that haven't changed, that they wanted to change, that we had to um, hold fast on, um, and things of that nature. So like I said, overall, for employees, it's a very good agreement and much better than I thought it would end up being uh, when we started this process. It should be noted that uh, once this ratification vote is set up and taken, you must be a union member in order to vote. Is that not correct? That is absolutely correct. It's going to impact um, union members and non-union members, but because this is a uh, a ratification vote. This is only open to members. So if you're hearing this and you're not a member of NTU and you would like to have a voice in the process, by all means, you are absolutely able to join before the meeting and uh, be able to participate. Just uh, just to let people know, once you and the executive board have made a decision on the day and the time and the mode for this particular meeting, uh, you will be sending that out via email to the membership. And, of course, we will pass this along on our Facebook page. And if you want to follow or like our Facebook page, just search Facebook with the phrase NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana and all those words, and, and you will find our news feed and, and you will get notification there as well. 
So once that meeting is set, uh, all should know. And it does appear that uh, you are going to try doing a Zoom meeting, whatever day and time it's going to be. Is that correct? Yeah, I think uh, with the assistance of our communications director, that would probably going to be the uh, best way to involve the most people. I don't know. I wouldn't always rely on the communication director. You know how he is. I know how he is, but I think he's a great guy and very capable, so I have full faith in him. Well, we'll, well we certainly hope he comes through for us this time. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, I think one of the most important advances that uh, the NT bargaining team made was with telework. And I've mentioned this before, that I was uh, with the union and, and becoming a, I'd been a steward for a few years. And the then chapter president, George Bilkey, gave, delegated to me the, the job of traveling the state and explaining what the flexi place um, contract provision was. Because in the mid-1990s, when that first became a part of the contract, uh, we didn't have the technology then that we have now. It was mostly for field people, people like, for example, uh, revenue agents, revenue officers who were working out in the field and did not necessarily have to come home after an appointment. They could come, uh, go back to the office, I should say, after an appointment. They could uh, do paperwork at home, maybe spend a whole day doing that. Uh, it was really for that uh, job classification and just a few others. That whole... Uh, concept, of course, expanded over time. Uh, what you and your bargaining team was able to do was expand this into work areas that had largely not been a part of, of FlexiPlace and now telework, particularly in the areas of toll-free and taxpayer advocate, but there are some others. And there's also uh, 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 there's some exceptions. Of, I want to take you to take just a, a minute or two or whatever time you want to take. And, and dive into all this telework um, uh, language. I think it's very important, and, and it expands the ability to use telework like never before. So please take it over and just tell us more about that. Yeah, first I want to give credit to uh, the leaders of the NTU bargaining team, uh, Jim Bailey, our national vice president, Ken Moffitt, who is our spokesperson, is our head of negotiations, Doreen Greenwald, um, Lori McCann, who's the president up in Chicago in Chapter 10, who was uh, also a PERM member of the bargaining team and all the chapter presidents. We really worked hard to try and get as many employees' positions uh, to be able to do frequent telework as possible. We used the pandemic as a model. Um, and if there's one thing that came that's good that came out of the pandemic, it would probably be the increased number of people able to telework, because I can tell you right now, we would not have that number if we didn't have this pandemic. So as horrible as it is, and nobody wished for it, if there was one good thing that actually came out of it, um, this would be it. So as you mentioned, um, CSRs and call sites, uh, folks in TAS are going to be uh, greatly impacted by this. Uh, several uh, types of work in the uh, service centers that aren't paper intensive are going to be able to uh, do more telework. So we, we thought it was very important to be able to do that and to be able to, like you said, get as many people as possible able to do this. You know, and, and some of the comments I've had are like, well, why can't we do this 
all the time. Why can't we do, you know, why can't we just do work from home full time? Well, that, that is a very special category called POD at home. And one thing is it's incredibly tough to administer for management because of locality pay issues. And the second thing is, is we actually pushed very, very hard for a long time for POD as home. But the problem and the issue with that is, is something that does not have to be negotiated via the statute. And the IRS simply was not willing to negotiate uh, POD as home. So our goal became, let's get as many people on frequent telework as we possibly can. And you also have some language in there, which I think is important. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, that, uh, and yeah, I think we've sort of been spoiled, and, and there's a silver lining in this, uh, this pandemic. It's the fact that uh, IRS did show everyone, yes, you can successfully work at home, and you can be productive working at home. Uh, that was a question. And then do we have, to, do we have the technology to do that, particularly in toll-free, and that it turned out to actually work when the IRS put its nose to the grindstone and got it done. But this whole idea of having to be in the office two days every pay period, there are some exceptions to that. Talk about those exceptions. Yeah, one of the things that I'm very excited about that, um, you know, I, I think the head of our team, uh, Jim Bailey, Ken Moffat, and Doreen Greenwald came up with us. And once we heard it, we were like, yeah. And management, to their credit, um, bought into this. With uh, managerial approval, um, up to two pay periods. Right now, let me back up a second. Telework, we've increased the distance that you can telework from. Right now, it's 150 miles from your post of duty with certain uh, exceptions to 200 miles. Well, now it's going to be 200 miles. But for up to two pay periods a year, there is not going to be any limit. So let's say that you're going to go on vacation uh, to your in-laws in Alabama for two weeks, just picking a state out of uh, the air. And you'd really like to do some work while you're there. Well, because of these exceptions, if your work is something that you can do remotely from anywhere, it is in the contract that you're not going to have to use all your leave for those that time that you're in Alabama. If you want to do some work with managerial approval, you're going to be able to do that. And you're not going to have the, uh, let's say you do it for a two-week period, you're not going to have the uh, reporting that you usually have to do the two days per pay period. So, Technically, if you're gone for two weeks in Alabama and you wanted to work four days out of that two weeks with managerial approval, you're going to be able to do that. So not only does it save leave, but it keeps you from uh, falling behind on work. And, you know, if you need it, you've got an excuse to get out of some things. Well, excuse. I always loved excuses. You know, they're they're the best things in the world. But I I think... (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's very, and I think there's something else we need to clarify for people. And I, I think one question you get a lot, I'm sure, is okay, I can work in my home all the time now. Why is it under the contract I still have to come in two days every pay period? And the fact is, at the moment, we are under an evacuation order, and that's the reason why. Am I correct on that? 
Exactly so. And thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, basically the only reason that people don't have to appear uh, at their post of duty twice a pay period is because we're under an evacuation order. And once that order is lifted, and at this time we don't know when it will be, um, you know, we're, we keep hearing September, I keep hearing early September, but with the Delta and now the Lambda variant out there in Indiana, we just don't know if that'll be changed or not. But yeah, while it's an evacuation order that you don't have that two days of pay period. And I would also like to address, uh, you know, I know I personally, and I know several other chapter leaders and national NGU have fought the IRS with, hey, these people have been vaccinated. They want to come into the office a couple of days a week. It would work better for them if they're in the office than at home. Can you please let them come in? And as of yet, the IRS is still saying, no, 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 we're not opening up the office. And I think that has to do a lot with trying to keep expenses down, trying to keep track of people and uh, concern over health. But as more people are getting vaccinated, I, I'm really hoping that before the evacuation order is lifted, they're going to start allowing people who want to come back into the office to be able to do so. There was an article in the Washington Post, just to, I think the day before we recorded this, where it appears that people in the White House are quietly talking to some reporters about the concern they have about the Delta variant and perhaps others that are coming along, as you mentioned, that, okay, that the agencies have submitted their uh, plans for returning back to work. But now the question is, the facts that have now come out about this Delta variant and other variants since those plans were put together, uh, the White House may be reconsidering this going back to work. Now, that's nothing official. This is just one of those, um, you know, people at the White House talking to reporters on background where they don't have to use their name. They're just kind of floating a trial balloon, I think, in this area. So, and the other part of this, Duncan, uh, I think I sh people should know, the, uh, even though the IRS was required to already submit this return to work plan, that plan has not yet been shared with NTEU, at least to my knowledge. It may have been shared. It has not been shared with any of the chapter presidents, I can tell you that. Uh, it may have been shared on a confidential basis with President Tony Reardon and Vice President Jim Bailey. I do not know that for sure. I would hope that it at least has. Um, and if it has and they've been told to keep it quiet, that's understandable. Um, but, you know, nobody else outside of a small group um, knows that. As of the end of uh, June, I can tell you that the IRS was saying uh, that they did not have a plan yet for people to come back to work in a certain date and how it was going to work because we asked. We're sitting at the table and we asked. And these are people that should have that information. And they said, it's just not done yet. So whether they were being, I would hope, not disingenuous or that they clearly just didn't have a date set yet, um, I think that's, uh, you know, it's just something that's still up in the air. And as you mentioned, because of these variants, the whole premise of being able to come back in the office was people are going to get vaccinated. In that way, we're going to get herd immunity and it will be much easier. Well, the fact that 
people, um, some people are resistant to getting the vaccine for whatever reason. Um, this has definitely hurt this across the entire country, not just the IRS, but uh, the entire country. And it's making it much tougher to make these types of decisions when you've got a significant percentage of the population that has not been fully vaccinated and has not shown yet any uh, willingness to do so, aside from the fact that it could absolutely uh, be detrimental to their own health as well as those around them. I think it's, you mentioned the state of Alabama. Uh, I just saw a news story uh, the day we record this where the governor of Alabama just flat out said, you unvaccinated people are, are creating this problem. They had 8,000 positive cases and uh, just recently, which is a huge number. Indiana is getting close to 1,000. You know, that's high, but Alabama is, all, is through the roof as far as their, their positive cases are concerned. So uh, I think the, the message is if you don't choose to vaccinate yourself, of course, at this point, that is your personal decision. But there are ramifications not only for you, but for your family and for the people around you. So those are all considerations one must make. And, and the other part of this is if you're not vaccinated and you're called back to the office, you will be required to wear a mask at all times. And even if you're uh, taking phone calls, sitting there at the call site and taking phone calls, you're going to need to have that mask on at all times. That's interesting. Do, are, do we know yet whether or not uh, employees in that situation will be required to show proof that they've been vaccinated through a card? Or do we even know the answer to that yet? I uh, have not heard anything about proof of vaccination yet. So, so we're going on the honor system. Now, okay. Okay. if somebody is saying that they are vaccinated and it later comes out through something that they are not vaccinated and they have you know, signed something that says they are, that could lead to some you know, falsification, insubordination, those sorts of things. So we don't want to have those. If, if you're not vaccinated, not going to get vaccinated, then that's what you tell people. You, 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 know, you tell your management chain, no, you're not vaccinated. You will have to wear the masks. You will have to you know, socially distance. That's one of those things. But you don't want to get into a position where you say you're vaccinated when you, in fact, have not been. Well, I think that just goes by something NTU has always told people, all of our members and, and anyone we represent, is that if you're answering questions in any official capacity, tell the truth for crying out loud. So if, if yeah. somebody asks you if you've been vaccinated, whether you signed it or say it verbally and somebody makes note of it, you know, you just need to tell the truth. I think that's, is that not the bottom line, Duncan? Absolutely. And at this point right now, it is still the honor system. Uh, and that's the way we'd like to keep it. Um, but again, I'm, as I've said on several podcasts, I am definitely asking people to get vaccinated. Um, you know, it's, it's the, you know, the medical, the medical professionals, the one who deal with these types of diseases, when they're telling you it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. I think one of the saddest cases I heard in the media, and this also came from Alabama, it just happened to, there was a fellow extremely sick with COVID. He was in a hospital in Alabama 
and he knew he was in trouble and he might die. And he asked uh, the doctor to give him a vaccination. And she said, sorry, it's too late. So don't wait until it's too late. Uh, I have my, I've, I've, once I had my vaccination, it, it gave me peace of mind. It doesn't protect you from everything. It does more than likely keep you out of the hospital. And, and, and these are, this is an official statistic from the Centers for Disease Control and all the, um, the health agencies of the federal government. 99.5% of all people hospitalized because of COVID are unvaccinated. So, And the 0.5% may have complications beyond, and that's where the shot maybe didn't help them. So uh, keep that in mind. That's just one thing you all need to consider. And the next subject we're going to talk about is also sort of tied into all this because uh, now if you are fully vaccinated, uh, now you are going to be able to go on official travel for IRS. I'm not sure how many people are actually officially traveling at the moment, but uh, you would not be able to uh, travel officially for the government and the agency uh, unless you are vaccinated. That has been verified, correct? That is correct. And I think this is where it's starting to um, come back. We were able to go to Washington, D.C. because we're all uh, fully vaccinated. Our team was fully vaccinated. Their team was fully vaccinated because they brought in people from outside of the D.C. area as well. So um, it's one of those things where I think it's just beginning to get the curve to back to work. So it's for the federal government. You know, if you're fully vaccinated, you're able to travel. So as I would see it down the road, um, for those folks who usually do work in remote sites or travel uh, for their job, revenue officers, revenue agents, you know, people like that, that once you're fully vaccinated, you're going to be able to do those types of things. So do we know how many agents, officers, uh, collection officers, and so forth, are back out in the field seeing the uh, taxpayers, the representatives? Uh, are they out there in the field now? Not not to my knowledge, for the most part. There uh, very few um, are doing it uh, right now. But as we, in the evacuation order, I can see that more will be coming on. Let's move to health insurance because the FEHB program is, is – uh, something most all of us have, and I myself as a retiree am very fortunate to be able to take it into retirement. It's one of the great things uh, that you have as a, as a retiree of the federal government is keeping that health insurance. Um, I guess the, uh, the issue that's come up lately has to do with when you make a change in coverage due to some uh, life change of some sort, uh, when is proof needed? I understand there have been some changes there. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, as of uh, the start of July, if you are uh, going to change your health insurance due to a qualifying life event, uh, marriage, divorce, birth of a child, um, someone passing, those sorts of things, then you now need to show uh, proof of that qualifying life event, a divorce decree, a you know marriage certificate, uh, you know, so on. You need to be able to show that. This is only uh, for a qualifying life event. It is not for the regular uh, yearly at the end of the year where you're making your uh, health insurance elections. So apparently they've tightened that up some. They want to make sure that when somebody says they have a qualifying life event that they do. And this is not IRS. This is federal government wide. So this is not something 
that we had any say in or uh, anything of that nature. So just to clarify this to make sure I understand, uh, it, this has to do with life changes, as you mentioned it. And uh, if someone is making a new election from one year to the next, uh, that, that annual opportunity to make a change, that is not going to require documentation. Am I understanding that correct? That is absolutely correct. Yeah. For, um, you know, regular end of the year to start the new year on your health elections, health insurance elections, there are not going to be that requirement. It is only for the uh, QLE, as they call it, the qualifying life events. That's the only thing that they're asking for documentation on. Let's move to our last subject of this podcast. And we've talked about this a number of times. When you were at the bargaining table, IRS management was fairly confident they were going to have a huge hiring coming up. That was largely based on the fact that at the infrastructure legislation currently under consideration in the Congress was going to be funded partially at least by uh, more enforcement on the part of the IRS, more uh, revenue agents, tax compliance officers, revenue officers that support people for those. And there was going to be an uptick in customer service as well. But now it appears that uh, that funding source is off the table for the infrastructure bill. But there are some other pieces of legislation in the pipeline that may still have this uptick in IRS uh, hiring. Actually, not an uptick. It would be a major hiring. So what do you know about that? Uh, is it still possible IRS will have a big hiring? I think we'll have some kind of hiring in any case, but as far as the large hires that you were uh, being informed about at the bargaining table, uh, where does that stand right now as best you know? I think and I still believe that they're going to be able to do these large hires. I think they're going to be able to get the funding. Uh, I don't think it'll be part of the infrastructure program. Um, I think it would have made perfect sense for that, but I understand that some people don't want the IRS to get proper funding because, God forbid, we could actually go out and do our jobs and actually take a look at the people we should be looking at, but we don't have the bodies to do right now. How, how's that for being as nice as possible? Well, um, as I've said before, Duncan, and I'll say it again, uh, it's a, it's amazing how certain people in, in, in the political class uh, preach law and order, and, how, and, and we need to make sure the law is obeyed. Uh, every law except the tax law. They don't seem to really care about enforcement in the tax law, and it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, it's, isn't that a shocking coincidence? But I, I do think between the administration and— I, um, I think that there'll be enough members of Congress that realize, you know, we need to pay for a lot of things in this country. Um, and the best and easiest way to do that is to fund the organization that brings in, you know, the vast majority of the income to the United States Treasury. And that would be the uh, Internal Revenue Service. So, I think cooler, cooler heads will prevail. I think that there will be funding. I don't know if it'll be tucked into something and not advertised so much. Um, but I do think that there will be that funding because there's got to be hiring. We are literally dying on the vine. And with the, you know, they always talk about the retirement tsunami. And I do think that that's going to be coming up in the IRS sooner rather than later because we are a, 
seasoned workforce and that we are going to need to get newer blood, younger blood in here to, uh, to help us out. And I do believe they'll be able to get these hires. Yeah, and I've always felt that, and I felt this way when I was with the service, that the lack of hiring hurt us in many ways. And one way is we didn't have that influx of younger people to have an impact on the agency itself. And I think hiring a group of younger people will bring some new thinking into the service that I, I believe we've always needed. But that's just just, just a, an opinion on my part. I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, I, as someone who serves on several uh, teams, especially one with uh, that our guests last week mentioned, the Leap G team, where I'm the one always pushing the envelope. We need to think differently. We need to look at things differently. We need to work it differently and come up with better solutions, newer solutions, different solutions. So I think getting an influx of especially younger people that will have different ideas on how to do things rather than, well, we've never done it like that. Well, that's not necessarily the best answer. We need to try different things. I think that's absolutely going to be essential for us moving forward as an organization in the future. And one last comment for me. I I do want to highlight and thank uh, Andy Reitmeyer for his willingness to come on our podcast last time. Uh, the first time a management official has agreed to talk to us on this podcast. And I know that I have had a few comments, and you have had many, from people who thought that podcast was really informative and uh, was a good one. So I'm hoping that the next time we ask a management official to come on, maybe the, the answer will be yes. Uh, you know, Andy, in in all seriousness, does a great job of pushing for the employees, the frontline employees, whether they're frontline uh, BU or NBU, frontline managers, to be able to do their jobs. How can we make their jobs better? How can we make sure that the right people are in the right positions? Um, Those sorts of things. He's very, very much behind that. And so I appreciated him coming on. I'm glad they haven't fired him yet for coming on. And so he's still working. He's still working there. That's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, he's still working as of yesterday. Uh, he, um, yeah, today you never know. Um, but you know, we're always willing to have, you know, IRS leaders that cover, you know, entire areas of the IRS, uh, to come on the podcast and talk about those types of things, but they're going to, you know, this isn't a scripted podcast. We're not going to be kowtowing to any particular list of questions where you can only talk about this, you can only talk about that. That doesn't happen with us. And if somebody needs that sort of assurance to be on this podcast, then they're much better off not being on it because that's not happening. We're not going to allow it, neither one of us. Well, yes, uh, having a chapter president and uh, a recovering journalist on the same podcast. (laughs) I guess I haven't recovered. I still do a local news blog. But, uh, yeah, my my journalism career uh, fizzled many years ago. But uh, anyway, Duncan, uh, last uh, chance to bring up uh, anything you want before we wrap this up. Yeah, I want to mention, I know a lot of people talk about it and you hear about it, uh, the EAP program. For folks that need um, counseling for whatever reason, whatever is going on in your life, um, it's a very valuable resource that you get up to four counseling sessions 
per uh, issue per year. And I just think it's an invaluable tool that the IRS and NTU all, you know, have negotiated over and have. Uh, it, it, there's never a harm in talking to somebody uh, about what's bothering you. And if you don't want to talk to family and friends because you don't want to burden or open up to them, this is the perfect opportunity for you to help yourself out because mental health is as important as physical health. And anything that you can do to try and relieve any of the stress that you have in your day-to-day life, or if you have certain traumatic events that come up, it's hugely important to get the help you need. And the EAP program is a great vehicle to at least start that. And it's not limited to mental health or other issues there that can impact your family and and your peace of mind. So uh, look at that list sometime. I I told this story before, Duncan. Uh, You know, I go back to a 28-year career at IRS that ended in 2011. But what I remember most, I hadn't even been with the agency that long when the EAP program was first implemented. And I just remember talking to people in management who said, well, yeah, it's something we thought we needed to do. Some people may need it and all this. And then, because they don't know who the people are, but the numbers started coming in as to how many people were taking advantage of it. And it astonished the top management, like, oh, we've got employees who need help. We never knew that because they're not always going to disclose that to their management chain. So the EAP program has been one of the, been the great successes of something that NTEU and the management have worked on together and, uh, and have strengthened over the years. Uh, that, that's, that's a success story we can talk about all the time. Yeah. And I just, like I said, I just think it's, um, you know, I'm, I've got a daughter who's a behavioral counselor. So I very, very much, uh, you know, believe in mental health. And, and, you know, when you've got this, this program that does that, and like you said, it does other things as well, but that's one of the bigger ones. Then you want to make sure that you avail yourself of that when you need it. Because here in the IRS, we've got way too much work for way too few people. So it, it can't help but be stressful just on that. So we need to make sure that, you know, there's, there's no shame. There's no problem. It's not, it doesn't mean you're weak. If you talk to somebody about this, if you're sick, if you're physically sick, you go to a doctor. If you're not feeling, you know, if you need a mental uh, release checkup, whatever you want to call it, talking to a counselor is just so freaking valuable. Yeah. I, I just know that, uh, you know, I, I think about my grandparents and to some extent, my parents, but most of my grandparents, you know, okay, things are tough, you know, snap out of it, you know, just get over it. Well, <laughs> you can't always do that. Okay. No, it's just no, not always it, it possible. It does not work that way. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. You just heard Duncan Giles. He's the chapter president for chapter 49. We represent most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. And this podcast is a production of chapter 49. We very much appreciate the fact you've listened. We thank you for listening. And if you like the podcast, let others know about it. Just pass along the link or just go to any platform and uh, go ahead and search under this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. So thank you again. We'll talk again hopefully next week. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind. Be kind.